Welcome to the last month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent Federal Circuit decisions impacting the intellectual property community. Finnegan partner Mike Flibbert joins us now to offer insight into the growing trend of decisions by the Patent Trial and Appeal Board being appealed at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. Mike, what's unique about appeals from the PTAB to the Federal Circuit as compared to appeals from district court? Well, I think there are a couple of things that are quite unique. The first is that the PTAB matters are handled by administrative patent judges. It's a very talented group of individuals. They're not just lawyers, but they also have technical training. So, for example, in the area where I practice, which is in the chemical, biotech, pharmaceutical area, many of the judges have PhDs in the technical disciplines. And the second point is that there's a requirement in appeals from the PTAB for standing, which doesn't exist in appeals from district court. So if you're the patent owner and you've lost the patent at the PTAB, you will have standing. But if you're a petitioner, there's a requirement to establish standing in an appeal to the federal circuit. And to do that, you really have to be prepared to put in evidence that you've been injured by the decision. That means you may have to file declarations, you may have to file documentary evidence showing some you know, significant commercial dispute with the patent owner. So if you've been sued for infringement, then certainly you will, you'll have standing. But if you haven't been sued, then it's a grayer area. And you have to look at factors such as whether you're commercializing the technology, are you at risk of an infringement claim, and have there been any copying allegations by the patent owner, for example, that can help support standing. Are you direct competitors in the industry? Have you invested in the technology and are you taking steps to commercialize it? And I think another factor that's very important for standing is whether the patent owner has refused to grant a covenant not to sue. So this is an area of law that's very unique to PTAB appeals. And it's just important as a petitioner, if you're seeking to appeal to the federal circuit from the board, that you be aware of this body of case law that's evolving on standing and be prepared to put in a showing sufficient to support standing in the court. Those are a couple of the major, I would say, distinctions that distinguish PTAB appeals from district court cases. What statistical trends have you seen in appeals from the PTAB to the federal circuit over the last few years? I think beginning in 2016 and continuing up to today, appeals from the board have actually become the number one source of new appeals to the federal circuit, surpassing district court appeals. And over that same period, another thing that we've seen from about 2015 to 2018 is an affirmance rate that has remained quite high. I believe the average affirmance rate has been about 74%. So it is a difficult challenge to obtain a reversal of a board decision. There's a lot of deference to the board on fact-finding in particular, which makes it difficult to successfully appeal. But another thing we have seen is over that same time period, the court is reversing at a slightly higher rate in some cases also vacating and remanding back to the board. It's about 5% higher now than it was at the outset. So that's something we're seeing. We don't know if that's going to continue, but there has been a, you know, sort of an uptick in reversals at the federal circuit of, of board decisions. And I think the last thing that we've seen is continuing use of Rule 36 affirmances. So a Rule 36 affirmance is where the federal circuit, you know, they basically agree with the board's decision and rather than writing an opinion, they simply issue a one-paragraph order, you know, affirming the board's decision for the reasons of record. For uh, appellants, that can be a little frustrating to not receive an actual written opinion explaining why the decision was affirmed. But that is something to be aware of because it happens in about 46% of the, the cases. So almost half the appeals from the board 
are affirmed summarily, you know, without any kind of written opinion. So those are a few that I think the major trends we've seen over the last few years. Mike, what are your suggestions for strategically positioning a PTAB appeal as an appellant or as an appellee? Well, first of all, the most critical thing is that you've preserved all of your arguments. In general, the Federal Circuit will not consider arguments that were not presented in the first instance to the board. So that's the most important thing, first of all. Have you raised all arguments at the board that you wish to raise on appeal? So avoid waiver, I guess, is the first suggestion. One thing you can do to to help avoid waiver is consider using requests for rehearing. Now, you're not required to seek rehearing after a board decision. You, You can go straight up on appeal, but you do have that option. And I think sometimes you may want to have, for example, your appellate counsel hopefully get involved before you have filed your request for rehearing. That way you can make sure that you've presented all the arguments that you wish to raise before the Federal Circuit. So that's, I think, a time when maybe some fresh eyes can be useful in coming in and making sure before the last opportunity has passed that everything has been raised. All the arguments have been raised, all the right cases cited. So that's the first thing to consider is avoiding waiver. I think the second thing you really need to consider is the standard of review. You have the greatest chance of success at the Federal Circuit when you have issues of law that are being presented. And that includes the conclusions on obviousness or enablement, claim construction issues, interpretation of case law, interpretation of statutes. For example, whether references to printed publication is ultimately a question of law, whether the board has adhered to APA procedures. So all of those things are questions of law that we've seen the Federal Circuit is quite willing to look at and to reverse if it doesn't agree with the board's analysis. For example, there have been a number of cases where the Federal Circuit disagreed with the board's claim construction and you know, interpreted the patent claims itself, and then based on that interpretation, either reversed or vacated and remanded the board's decision. So that sort of pure issue of law is really what you need to look for in an appeal from the board to the Federal Circuit. On the other hand, you have to really be aware that factual challenges are pretty unlikely to succeed. So issues of fact like written description, anticipation, the facts underlying an obviousness analysis, trying to re-argue those sorts of things at the Federal Circuit is, is really an uphill battle because it's a substantial evidence standard of review. It's very deferential and it's just extremely difficult to reverse the board's fact findings. Also, a lot of times parties will be you know, upset about procedural things that happened at the board. Sometimes they may disagree if they were not allowed discovery or other types of procedural things. But you, you just have very little chance of success on those sorts of issues at the Federal Circuit. The board has a lot of case management discretion. They have a lot of discretion on procedural matters. So I would say the best overall approach is that the appellant should be highlighting the board's legal errors and things that are subject to de novo review, you know, free review by the court and establishing that those legal errors were harmful, that they made a difference in the decision by the board. On the other hand, if you're the appellee and you won below, you should really be stressing the board's factual findings and showing that they are supported by substantial evidence and also maybe arguing that any alleged legal errors were harmless, you know, that they don't make a difference. So those, I think, are some of the broad overall strategic considerations to really keep in mind. How important is the appeal brief to the outcome of an appeal, and do you have any brief writing tips? The appeal brief is extremely important. I've heard different judges will give different percentages, but typically most judges will say they have 
essentially made up their mind and that they won't change it in about 70 to 80% of the cases just based on the briefs. The appeal briefs by far the most important part of an appeal and oral argument can be important in a certain percentage of cases, but ordinarily the judges will come in very well prepared and typically will have formed a view and it's, it's quite hard to turn them around at oral argument. So the appeal brief is critical. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that the federal circuit judges, some of them are technically trained, but some are not. And so when you, you've come from the board where maybe you had a panel of three PhD scientists, and then you, you're at the federal circuit, it's really a different potential audience, right? And so I think you have to explain technology in a way that's compelling, but easy to understand. So we often will use whatever we can to help explain the, the technology. We use colored diagrams. We use charts. We provide headings in the briefs to give a, a useful roadmap. So those things that help clarity, I think, are really important. We typically, in a brief at the Federal Circuit, we use a preliminary statement. Essentially, that's a very concise statement of the case. It comes right up front in the brief. It doesn't have to have case sites. It doesn't even have to have record sites. It's really just a condensed explanation of your position in a way that helps orient the reader. And so they really should understand the appeal after just reading a couple of pages. Another thing I think is really important in brief writing is the statement of facts. It's probably the most important section because it has to tell a compelling story in a non-argumentative way. But the reader, after reading the facts and understanding the, the issues, really should come away persuaded by the story that's told through the facts. And I think one thing that is really critical with the facts section in a brief is to make sure that you have accurate and complete record sites because the courts and the judges, law clerks, will review the record carefully. They'll check your citations very carefully. And it's the quickest way to lose an appeal, I think, when you have parties who have missing record sites or they overstate the facts. In some way, the court just doesn't trust them anymore after reading their facts section. So that's a really critical part of the brief. And then in terms of other suggestions in the argument section, I think you really have to try to limit the number of legal errors that you're raising in an appeal from the board. Two or three is probably a good number. If you're going beyond that, you probably have too many. I mean, if, if you're not going to win in your first or second best arguments, you're probably not going to win on the fifth, right? So try to prioritize the arguments and don't include too many. I think another suggestion on the argument section is, you know, avoid string citations of case law. But when you do have a case that's very important, a precedent, don't just cite it. I think you should develop it a little bit. Maybe explain what the facts were and what the holding was in a way that is compelling so that the court can see why that earlier decision is relevant to your case and helpful. And rather than just another sort of string cite of legal precedents, try to use it in a way that's a little more compelling. Those are a few suggestions. The brief is incredibly important, and it's really worth the effort to have a highly polished brief to help you persuade the court. And finally, Mike, how do you typically prepare for an oral argument? I think the most important thing to keep in mind when you're preparing for oral argument is that the purpose of oral argument is to answer the judge's questions. It's really the only purpose. And you see time and again, you'll see counsel come in and they have a prepared speech that they want to give to the court, and they get about three seconds into their speech, and then they get interrupted by a question. And they're, they're kind of stunned and, and often sort of taken aback that they, they can't give their presentation. Well, that's because that's not the purpose. You're there to answer the judge's questions. So when you prepare for oral argument, you should prepare 
first of all, by brainstorming with your colleagues and the client all the possible questions that you may get. And you should list them out and you should come up with very concise answers to those questions. So brainstorming the questions that may come and then practicing answers is probably the best way to prepare. It also just helps you get in the mindset that you're there to answer questions. You're not really there to give a presentation. That said, you do have to be prepared to give some kind of presentation in the event that the judges are fairly quiet. You want to make your key points. The most important thing is to have everything condensed down so that if you do need to find a record site, you can find it quickly. There is absolutely no time to consult with a colleague. There's really no time to look anything up. You're at the podium. You have to be able to answer the questions with what you have in front of you. And honestly, there's really no substitute for being totally prepared. You have to know the record inside and out. You have to know the case law that's at issue and simply be there to answer questions and be totally familiar with the case. Another point to keep in mind is to listen to the questions and actually answer them. I mean, that may seem like an obvious thing, but it's amazing how often counsel, they'll get a question, they really don't answer the question. They kind of give part of their argument back because they're still tied to their script or to the presentation they want to give. So you, you can't do that. You need to listen to the question and answer it. You also need to do a lot of listening when the other side is arguing because you can listen to the questions that are coming to your opponent, and that may tip you off into a direction to go. When you get up for rebuttal, for example, you can know where to focus by listening to the questions that are coming to your opponent. It helps to have done this a few times to realize how important that is and not to just get up there with a script. Maybe just another practical suggestion I would give on oral argument is don't interrupt the judges. When you have a question that's presented, you should stop speaking and then listen to the question and then answer the question. So don't interrupt or speak over the judges. Try to adhere to the time limits. If you're in the middle of an answer when the light goes off, just ask to be given a chance to complete your answer. And almost always they'll do that and maybe even give you some additional time. Our guest has been Mike Flibbert, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.